Thank you, dear Sangha, for uh, the chance to practice with you all today. I always enjoy getting to be with this community, and it's wonderful to see uh, familiar faces and names and those that I also may be encountering for the first time. So warm welcome to all of us. So I'm going to be sharing today on a topic I've been teaching a little bit lately. Um, so you may have heard some of this before if you've been with me recently. But I, it's a, you know, I like to sort of stay with a topic for a while because I, I find that it, I come at it in different ways. Each, you know, the more I um, explore it and the more I get to delve into it with others. So um, today I want to be um, inviting you to explore with me how we can see the big picture when times are tough, when things are challenging. And uh, I'll offer a meditation and um, and then some reflections. We'll take a little break somewhere around halfway through our two hours together. And then um, we'll see what happens. Either we'll, we'll do another meditation or maybe we'll do some reflecting together. But there'll be time for questions and um, your uh, insights and inputs um, uh, in the, the second half. So I want to just ground ourselves in acknowledging the land that is supporting us all the time. I'm calling in from Long Island, the land of Muncie, Lenape, and Merrick peoples. And so I invite us all just to feel, feel the body right now wherever you find yourself and really touch how the land that you are on is a part of your body. That your body wouldn't exist without uh, the earth and the peoples that cared for the earth, the particular part of the world that you are being nourished by. And so to honor the generations of those native peoples and uh, those brought to this land of the United States, if that's where you are, uh, those who came and settled in this country, um, to honor all of these peoples, wherever you are, whether it's some other country, some other place, but to honor the generations, past, present, and future, who have inhabited this land, who will inhabit this land. Let's take three breaths together in awareness.
So also appreciating the the spiritual ancestors that are part of us being here. Um, any of our spiritual teachers, we can offer our gratitude to them. There's the Buddha and all the ancestral teachers that have flowed on this stream of Buddhism for 2,600 years. Just all the conditions that gave rise to Spirit Rock and the teachers that, the staff, the practitioners that have made this group possible as well. So just acknowledging that we are part of a larger stream of land, ancestors, land. compadres and spiritual ancestors and spiritual friends, spiritual community. Thank you for just a chance to honor the many peoples who have made our lives possible. Really uh, aspiring that this uh, session today will be supportive for each of us, each and every one of us. Thank you so much, Sangha. So I'll offer us a um, a vagal nurturing sequence to begin our meditation practice. So this is offering mindful touch to ourselves, to um, tone the vagus nerve, this longest of nerves that travels from the brain all the way through the torso and affects all the major organs. And when that nerve is toned, we are better able to respond to all of life's ups and downs and to bounce back with more resilience when things are difficult. So um, this begins with uh, the eyes. So if you have glasses, you can remove them, but you're just going to put the um, fleshy part of your palms over the bones of the eyes, so not pressing on the eyeball itself. And take a few breaths as you... Maybe enjoy closing your eyes and giving your eyes a bit of a rest. The pressure around the bones of the eyes can help release the eye muscles. So just rest for a few breaths here. And we first look for safety. So we're offering safety to ourselves. And now we'll 
massage along the outer ear so like the edge of the ear just from the top all the way to the lobe of the ear just between your fingers just a gentle kind of rolling pressure on the outside of the ear three times so from the top all the way down to the lobe of the ear because after we look for safety we listen to hear if we're safe And then we'll just cup our faces in our hands. So maybe like a dear friend might hold your face with a lot of affection and care. Just letting our hands provide comfort, warmth, support to the face. Taking a few breaths. Do you feel what it's like to offer yourself affection, tenderness? And then we bring our palms one over the other to the heart center. So offering support again and care taking a few breaths here maybe feeling the warmth of your hands on your chest you could whisper to yourself here i am safe i am safe Offering our nervous systems a real gift of being able to rest and just receive care, nurturing. And then keeping your hands in the same relationship just slide it down to uh, an inch below your belly button so one hand over your hara this energy center the dantian um, an inch or so below your belly button and the other hand on top of that hand and again just a few breaths here feeling the support feeling the grounding, bringing your attention to this energy center in the abdomen, breathing down into this area, resting. Just feeling. And then we finish the sequence by turning our palms upward and resting them on the thighs. So this is like Shavasana, like corpse pose at the end of yoga. You just 
receive, feel what happened, what's different, if anything. Taking a few conscious breaths. And I usually just share this one time around, but when I learned it, the encouragement was to do it three times in a row. And so are you up for doing it two more times with me? I don't usually teach it that way because there's always something else to do, but we've got a bit of time and it'd be nice to just luxuriate in caring for ourselves. So shall we go back up to the eyes? Just offer yourself the possibility of resting, letting go of what has to be seen and captured through the eyes. Taking a few breaths as you release the muscles of the eyes. And then we move to the ears, massaging the outer edge of the ears three times from top to bottom. This should feel nice. And then bringing the palms to the cheeks, just giving your cheeks the sense of being held in loving hands. It could be anyone that you invite, you visualize to come and hold your face. Maybe it's the Buddha. Maybe it's Mother Mary. Or your neighbor or your daughter. Your brother. Just feeling kindness. Feeling tenderness. Letting yourself rest. And then one hand over the heart and the other hand over that hand. Offering Again, kindness and care. This is a kind of moving, like 
moving around. <laughs> Love meditation, metta meditation. So you could say to yourself again here, I am safe. Or I am enough. Or it is well with my soul. Whatever would feel reassuring to you. And then we bring the palms to an inch below the belly button to this Tandian point, this energy center. Breathing down into the belly, releasing, letting go, just allowing, opening, softening. supporting our experience, whatever it may be. And finally, again, turning the palms upward, just letting them rest on your thighs, taking stock, just seeing what awareness is here as you go through this sequence a second time. What's happening inside? What, what are the effects? What's arising? Or simply resting back, not having to do anything, just receiving, allowing, breathing. And for the third time, we'll do the sequence a final time. Gently bringing the palms over the eyes. Taking a few breaths here, allowing the eyes to rest, to receive this nourishment from the darkness and the protection.
breathing. Resting. Good, and then we move to the ears. Rolling the edges of the ears through your fingers from top to the earlobe. Three times. Doing this as lovingly, as sweetly, as kindly as you can. And then letting the hands cup the face and just offer comfort, support to your head. Resting. Peace. Bringing in kindness, bringing in care. To visualize anyone, even a non-human being holding your face. Listen for yourself. Offering friendliness and a chance to let go and rest. And then one hand over the heart, and the other hand covering that hand. Feeling the warmth, feeling the pressure, the support of the hands on the heart. Whispering to yourself, I am safe. I am safe. Or perhaps I am whole. I am whole. I have everything I need. And then letting your hands move down an inch below the belly button, one hand over another. Again, breathing down into the belly, offering care, offering kindness, offering friendliness to yourself. Nurturing the vagus nerve, grounding yourself, anchoring, centering. Breathing. Resting. 
And finally, letting the palms open outward, turning upwards, and just resting them on your thighs. Resting back the whole body and taking stock, just noticing how this practice has worked on you. What are you aware of? Just letting yourself rest and enjoy. And as you are ready, you may like to open your eyes, bring in some movement. And if anyone wants to notice in the chat what that created for you, whatever it may have been, I'll read some of the shares in the chat in a word, in a phrase, just a brief reflection. So happiness, happiness is <laughs> fulfillment. After I felt deeply meditative and clear at the same time, Delight, peaceful. Quite worthwhile repeating three times, very calming. Thank you. Settled in the moment. Thank you. Feeling safe to let tears flow. And yes, three times is great. Yeah. There's a cumulative nature of doing it more rounds. So glad that that felt good. Pleasant and calming the first time. Then stress came in stronger. Oh, that's very good to notice uh, how it changed. Maybe there was more space for stress to emerge after the first time. Ready to slip into meditation. Thank you. Felt restorative and nice to love on myself. Thank you. Help me slow down and arrive. Let go of expectations. 
Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, Sangha, for your shares, and feel free to put them in the chat as they arise. Um, but this is really a, you know, this can be your friend. If you like this, you could always, you know, you could come back to it and bring it into your meditation. Maybe start your meditation with this sequence. And uh, before we go today, I'll put the link in the chat for the YouTube video that um, goes through the sequence if you forget. So we will just keep right on going with our meditation. So letting yourself settle in, settle back. Connecting with the weight of the body. And feeling the support of the earth. Letting yourself open, soften, turning inward. Listening to the body. What is here in the body, in the mind? Listening to the heart. Now we have time. We have space. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. And simply notice the sensations. The sensations of breathing. How the breath flows in and flows out. Or perhaps other physical sensations of pressure temperature, contact, tingling, itching. 
or sounds. Noticing what sounds are there in the environment to be known. Being with whatever is here. Giving it space. Allowing whatever sensations are here to simply be. Offering compassion, kindness, friendliness to yourself, however you are, whatever is here. If there's some physical discomfort or emotional pain, some anxious or Pressing thoughts, or if there's ease, calm, physical happiness, welcoming whatever is here as best you can. What is difficult does not need to be fixed. You can allow it to just be. Breathing with it. Giving it space.
sweeping, attending to our own inner landscape, our own inner experience. Now we'll include the reality around us, one of these elements is that we are in a new season of spring for those of us in the northern hemisphere. We're welcoming ourselves into this new season. Being in touch with many beings, the more than human beings that are giving birth to the next generation of birds and rabbits and squirrels, the fox, the bears, the mountain lions. trees that are budding, giving birth to new leaves, new branches, flowers beginning to burst forth from the earth. Breathing in with the spring, with all the life around us. Spring rains, spring snow, zooming out to take in that we are one of many other humans on this planet, all trying to figure out how to live as best we can. One of eight billion some homo sapiens. We're all breathing oxygen. As we breathe, we can feel connection with all other beings that are breathing with us, human and more than human, that all rely on this particular combination of gases to survive. All of us made up mostly of water, just like the earth, the surface of the earth. And 70% water. Connecting to all the liquid inside of us. That is one with 
the water outside of us, the spring rains and the clouds, the lakes and the rivers and the oceans. And zooming out even further from beyond the planet Earth herself to take in that we are traveling in a very orderly way in our solar system between Venus and Mars around the sun held in our orbit just so rotating moving constantly We are all on a journey together. And zooming out further to take in our whole Milky Way galaxy is moving incredibly quickly through the universe at a speed of 370 miles per second. The whole galaxy is on a journey. this life that we share share this reality with everything is doing what it's here to do manifesting in its unique and particular beauty. A butterfly opening its wings. A volcano smoking. Whales communicating hundreds, thousands of miles through the ocean. We are part of all of this. We are held in a web that includes all of this. We cannot fall out of this web.
taking stock, experiencing whatever it is that you in particular are grateful for in this moment. How are you experiencing your connection to a larger web of life? I'll invite a sound of the bell to close our practice as we rest back as we listen to the bell into this web of interconnection. And after that, we will listen to a poem Uh, Carlita will play for us. Welcome to just hear this as part of the meditation and just continue to close your eyes and listen to Thich Nhat Hanh read his poem, Please Call Me By My True Names, or you can follow the words along in the chat as well. Thank you so much, Carlita. Please call me by my true names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today, I am still arriving. Look deeply every second I am arriving to be a bird on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest. to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am a mayfly 
metamorphosing on the surface of the river. And I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am a frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond. And I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself in the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and louder at once. So I can see that my joy and my pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and the door of my heart could be left open, the door of compassion. Dear ones, so we'll come back in five minutes at 12 past the hour. See you soon. Dear ones, welcome back. So I'm wondering, I have a talk that I can offer, but I wonder if uh, we could also do a Dharma talk a la carte, as <laughs> my teacher Thich used to call it. Sometimes my sense is that maybe there's enough here in your questions, in your own <clears throat> interests, concerns, that we could just uh, be very spontaneous. Um, but maybe maybe there won't be questions, in which case I'm happy to give a talk. But we could just use this next 45 minutes for 
conversation and questions and response. So what's the sense if folks are willing to maybe put in the chat, would you like to to have an open space now or hear a little talk like for 20 minutes and then have the rest of the time for questions, reflections from the group or the whole time for a Darmet. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so it seems like there's some wish for a talk. All right. So yeah, I think I think I'll I'll give a little talk and then we'll open it up. What's powerful for me about that poem, Please Call Me By My True Names, is the power of moving beyond our identification with ourself as a separate self and being able to see ourselves in, in many other things. So this is part of this seeing the big picture, especially when times are difficult. This poem, the story behind this poem of Thich Nhat Hanh of Thai, as his students call him, which means teacher in Vietnamese. <clears throat> Thai was in the West in exile for uh, calling for peace to end the war in Vietnam. He had been living in Vietnam, and when he came into the West to call for peace, he, um, you know, neither the North nor the South appreciated that in Vietnam, and they both saw him as their enemy. So he wasn't allowed to come back to Vietnam. I'm going to just walk with you downstairs so I can bring my dog back in the house. <laughs> She's barking to come inside. And so the this experience of being in exile was still one where um, Thai was supporting refugees and um, people fleeing Vietnam and also those who had been uh, orphaned in Vietnam. And so one of the things that they did was find sponsors to care for children who had been orphaned in the war, and they would get letters in this uh, Buddhist peace delegation that, that Thai was running in Paris of people who were in refugee camps or whose family members had been sent to re-education camps in Vietnam. 
or, you know, requests for aid. And one of these letters described the experience of, of a refugee boat in which a 12-year-old girl, the, the whole boat was attacked by sea pirates. And a, a 12-year-old girl was raped by a sea pirate. Her father tried to intervene. He was killed. And so she threw herself overboard um, and, and drowned herself. And when Tai received this letter, he was deeply disturbed, as any of us would be. And he said he had to go out and do walking meditation in order to calm his heart and mind. And as he practiced in this time of such difficulty, he did this bigger picture practice, which we did in the meditation, where he began to visualize what if he had been born as a baby in Thailand, on the coast of Thailand, in a fishing village where his father was an alcoholic or not present, and his mother had many children, and he didn't get much care. He didn't go to school. He didn't have much hope for his life as a young person. And some sea pirates who had been taking advantage of refugee boats encouraged him to go to get a little money. And then he became, you know, more bold and started carrying a gun and started not just stealing, but also raping and killing people. And he realized, Tai, that if he had been born in the same conditions as that sea pirate who raped that 12-year-old girl, that he would have grown up to be the same way. Right? And... And so that is the insight that led him to write this poem. That ultimately we are not separate either from the perpetrator or from the victim. And learning to see our interbeing with Everyone, everything is really what it means to be free. Because if, if we answer to any of our true names, right? Please call me by my true names. It means if you call me by Donald Trump, I have to say yes, that's my name. If you call me by Malala, the youngest Nobel Peace Prize winner, I have to say, yes, that's my name. If you call me by those making nuclear weapons, I have to say, yes, 
That's my name. If you call me by those who are experiencing environmental racism and living next to Superfund sites or incarcerated, I have to say yes. That's my name. When I was a monastic in Germany, living at the European Institute of Applied Buddhism, one of the centers of Plum Village, uh, we had bought a large building that used to be a hospital for the community. It had been empty for some years and I was doing walking meditation in the park right in front of this building and found a plaque that told the history of the building that we hadn't been aware of, which was that it had been in the 30s, 40s, an institution for the mentally handicapped. And during the um, time of the Nazis, it was taken over and 700 of these patients had been moved elsewhere, and most of them had been killed, either euthanized or starved, or they died um, under the bombing. Um, but it was a very uh, intentional act to um, not protect their lives when they were moved, because the Nazi party wanted to make this large building into a hotel for Nazi workers. And so in the lobby of the building, there were Nazi mosaics. Um, and and so right away when we found out about this history of the building, which was a very heavy history, as you can imagine, living in this building that, you know, the marble was came from uh, Mussolini's fascist Italy, probably not under very livable conditions for the workers who mined the marble. So, uh, you know, everything was, had some heavy history to it. We began to... Um, you know, in the monastery, in the Vietnamese Zen tradition, every day we have a ceremony to the hungry ghosts. In the afternoon, we make an offering of food and chants to the hungry ghosts. So at 5 p.m. or so every day, someone, you know, creates the altar. We put out rice porridge, we put out bread, we put, you know, whatever the local foods are, salt water, incense, and there's a particular chant that is offered with the bell, with the drum, to open the throats of the hungry ghosts so that they can receive this uh, offering of food and uh, well, well wishes of Dharma. So there's the understanding in Buddhist cosmology that even after people pass away, or other beings, you know, pass away. Sometimes they don't always um, 
move into their next uh, part of their journey and they stick around um, disturbed or, you know, this, this, the vision of a hungry ghost is, is one with a large belly and a very tiny throat. So they're always hungry, but they don't have a way to receive nourishment. And so the chanting in this ceremony is to open the throat of the hungry ghost so they can receive the offering. And this is, can be like a metaphor for all of us, or that the parts of us that are kind of compulsive or addicted or is like the hungry ghost energy in us. But it can also refer to actual beings that, are, um, that need support and that are unseen. And so we began to, sh- um, we created a, a text in the EIAB when we learned the history of the building that we would read every day at the Hungry Ghost Offering. And usually it's just one or two people who do this for the whole community each day. But because it was such a profound <clears throat> history that we were aware of, the whole community would do it every day. All 30 monks and nuns would come and chant together this Hungry Ghost Offering, and we would read a text. And the text was specifically for the 700 patients who had been killed from our building and also the perpetrators of the violence. So we included every day when we chanted that those who perpetrated the violence and those who were victims of the violence would find peace, would find um, ease. And so that was another way of practicing non-identification with with self, with one side, with, you know, one part of the story, but to see, you know, please call me by my true names, to see um, if you call me uh, a handicapped patient, I have to say yes. If you call me a Nazi uh, general who has ordered many patients to be euthanized, I have to say yes also. So, so this ability to take in multiple realities and how everything arises due to causes and conditions, right? And that It's not because people necessarily choose to be uh, harming or violent, but, you know, there may be causes and conditions that haven't allowed them to find a path where they could uh, be compassionate and be respectful of life. So when the Buddha was under the Bodhi tree, part of his awakening was he saw his past lives. He saw all the various beings he had been in the past 
And he saw that he had been, you know, very loving and skillful in some of his previous uh, manifestations, but he had also uh, done things that were unskillful, that were harmful in some of his times uh, in whatever be as whatever being he had manifested in. And so it's a Tibetan practice to to reflect on how um, every being we encounter was our mother at one in one previous life, right? The, the spider has been our mother in a previous life. The snail has been our our father or our sibling or child in a previous life. That neighbor down the street who annoys us so much has also been our mother. That politician that we uh, find so difficult to accept has also been our our mother. So, you know, this is a, a, a very profound practice in, in many traditions to to not take as the final word <laughs> this uh, uh, form that is encased in skin as as being who we are, as being, you know, the whole story. We're so much more than this one identity such that... Um, we can really learn and grow our hearts to see each other in ourselves, to see ourselves in each other, um, and to know that those who have lived in ways and done things that are very antithetical to how we wish to live, how we wish to act, um, often haven't necessarily, you know, created that reality on their own, right? They are a product of a whole society, of a whole system, just like we are, right? If we see we have good qualities, we're practitioners, we're on a path that's very commendable, but it's not because of us alone. It's because of all the different causes and conditions that have led to us meeting, you know, some teacher, some teaching, some spiritual friends, some, you know, Dharma communities that have helped us to choose to go on this path. So we can't take credit for that and, and see ourselves as separate. So same with someone who is on a, on a, a path that leads to a lot of suffering. They didn't do that by themselves. Right? So,
I attended, this is the last thing I'll share and then I'll invite your reflections. I attended a workshop which was really beautiful by, it's the People's Hub. They do workshops and this one was on disability justice. And um, they talked about how um, we can, the conventional way of seeing disability is as an individual issue. You know, someone has, you know, some condition that, um, you know, means they need to be in a wheelchair or they need, you know, special um, assistance or medications, you know. But they talked about how disability in our culture, in our society is actually manufactured and that it affects everyone, not only those who consider themselves disabled, but even those of us who consider ourselves able-bodied, we are affected by a culture that manufactures disability. So one of the examples is our prison system, right? It is very difficult to um, not become somehow disabled by our prison system. I learned that so many prisons are located near Superfund sites, near sites of incredible environmental toxicity. So water is not healthy, air is not healthy, the earth is not healthy where they live. And then you add on to that all the the violent, um, uh, just the violence of the system of the prison. And um, then you have, you know, those who are forced to live in places with a lot of pollution, whether it's near a highway or um, near a chemical plant in poorer neighborhoods, that's manufacturing disability, where young people die of asthma. So this idea of, of disability being something much more systemic than just individual. So, So this is the society, the world that we live in, right? We live in a world where those of us in more global north countries with more material access, the way we live with all that we have is really at the expense of many in the global south who don't have what they need to live. You know, so many people don't have. And of course, there's many complexities of inequality within each culture, nation, society, community. But um, this larger picture of, of cultures, groups of people living beyond their means, which means that there simply isn't enough to live, to meet basic needs for a vast majority of people. 
So this is another way of, of how our world manufactures disability. Right? If you're malnourished, you know, then you're more prone to illness. You're more prone to um, conditions that can really uh, shorten your life and affect deeply affect the quality of your life. So, so how do we how do we say yes to all of these names? <laughs> these true names, right? This, this privilege and also this lack of privilege, this need. How do we see all of that as, as us, not separate from us? So I thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.